0: Hey, you're listening to episode 9 of the Sunnyside Podcast Show. This is me, PJ. And me, Rowan. Cue the theme tune. Deep on the Sunnyside, always on the Sunnyside,
1: deep on the Sunnyside alive. It will help us every and day, it'll guide us on the way, if we keep on the
0: Sunnyside alive. Hello, Rowan.
1: And that definitely silence you hear is uh the absence of Scott.
0: yeah. He isn't. He's not with us. Uh, Ron that and makes Scott... it sound like he's passed away. <laughs> he's, he's, he is with us, but he's not with us. Um, he, in fact, often when he is here, he's not with us as well, but that, that's here and there. Uh, if you're listening to Scott, hi, you won't listen to this. You don't listen to the other bloody shows you're on, so I don't know why you'd listen to this one. Oh, I might make him edit it. <laughs> that would do. Um, so, right, this. So what happened this week was we were going to record a show, uh, and then uh, I was in a for a comic convention. We'll you talk were. about that. Um I drove back from Enniskillen, uh, like rapid fire, get back to record this podcast with my team. Uh, I phoned Scott, and Scott was like, oh, I'm a sleepy priest. <laughs> don't, don't wake me up. I've been working nights every night, so I I'm just so sleepy. I went... Wow, okay, he is very sleepy. I'd better phone Ron and say, Ron, this show can't go on tonight. I phoned Ron. Ron was incoherent, literally incoherent. What happened to you? Oh,
1: I had taken some of my hay fever medication, <laughs> which uh, I've got some of it here. It is, you didn't uh,
0: take any tonight, did you? Uh,
1: citrazine 10 milligrams, uh, citrazine
0: dihydrochloride. Yeah, so if you're looking for a good contact high,
1: That stuff is unreal. If anyone wants to come around and lick one of my tablets before I take it, um, <laughs> you'll be right off to sleep
0: yeah so I can't remember what the first words out of your mouth were but it it, it they it didn't come out <laughs> like first words. I thought the phone wasn't working, I thought I just couldn't hear you,
1: but you mumbled I, I just about remember the conversation i think I think I went
0: hurrahrahhurrah <laughs> <laughs>
1: And you were like, uh, Scott's Scott's uh, on nights. He's, he's just not. I'm
0: like I'm convinced I'm a little bit deaf or something. But I often can't hear what people are saying anyway. So I I you know, interpret mumbles as some whatever they've said. So when yeah. you mumbled at me, I just assumed I fucked up and I can't hear you properly. <laughs> so I, I like going well. He's probably said something. But uh, like mostly I don't listen to people anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But but uh, you were saying something.
1: But yeah. Then I then I quickly struggled to even say your name. I think at that point. Yeah. So. And then
0: you. But then you apologised Oh, I'm sorry. I was trying to. So, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it was really rubbish. Anyway, so that's why there was no new show recorded. So the plan was to maybe, uh, we have, as if you're a long time listener, you might know that we have uh, this is our second podcast show. Our first was the Sunnyside Comics podcast show, which was uh, essentially more about comics. Um, and we were going to put out one of those archive shows. But we've, I've, I've had to listen to some of them and. Um, Let's just say there are things we regret. There are things that were said that maybe shouldn't have been said. There's moments in that that are not as funny as we first thought. Uh. <laughs> they were funny in 2008, yeah, yeah, but they're not funny now. Yeah, there's. They're st- I mean, I, I think, I think one of the biggest problems with the internet is that everything is kept forever and things aren't forgotten, and so. Uh, and, and often things that you say in a moment that are funny and are true and are kind of have aren't deliberately set out to harm or hurt anyone but are just said in a passing this is a funny thing to say I mean if you're out in the street and you say something sometimes you'll say something stupid or insensitive but it won't matter because it's gone that yeah. moment is gone and, and the that, only people that,
1: that heard it have passed by
0: yeah yeah, they wouldn't have hurt anyone necessarily because you, you weren't deliberately aiming at anyone it's just a thing you say and you find that it's out, it's lost in the ether and that's okay you move on and if you have th- Happen to think about it later, you think that was a stupid thing to say, and I shouldn't have said that. And but that's okay; no one heard it, is fine. Unfortunately, when your inclination is towards saying that while you're being recorded, and then putting that up online, you kind of think, "Ooh, it's probably as well. Our archives are all gone." Yeah, <laughs> I, mean,
1: I, I mean, we won't go into what what it was that was said, but basically, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's stuff that. uh that would be considered either less woke less, le- woke, less less woke than than all three of us are these days.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, and, and and yeah. So anyway, that, that 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 said, let's move on from that. Uh, I did listen to episode one, and episode one, I think, is still a good podcast. Um. Uh, one of the things that we were talking about was uh, writing comics, and this is the thing I'm holding this over Ron, and we we talked about uh, writing comics, and Ron said I would love to write comics.
1: Really? Did I say that? You said
0: I would... And there was a real heartfelt... Kind of definitely... This is a real genuine heartfelt thing. And what happened? I don't think I'd like to write comics anymore. <laughs> I,
1: I, I've often said that I think if I had any strength at all in, in that sort of field, I, it would be as a, an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would love to have a go at that. Okay. But um, I think I don't think they just let you into Marvel Comics as an editor. <laughs>
0: Well, no, but I mean, well, they, yeah, I mean, editing's interesting because they're right. So, I have I have been writing recently, I've been trying to write. Um, I and coming to do you
1: need someone to fix your spelling? PJ,
0: I need, yeah, I do. I need editorial input all the time. But I, as a, as a non writer, someone who's not had much stuff published, uh, Scott and I wrote a story a while ago. We've written a couple of stories together, um, and um, I reread it. Last yesterday, it was a story called Terran Omega, um, which came out in uh, a little compilation book called Broken Frontier, and which is available on Comicsology <coughs> Fact Fans for thirteen ninety nine. It's three hundred pages of stories, so it's quite good value. It's a big big chunk of stuff, but they're all little short stories. And um, I reread that, and actually, I think the writing was stronger than the artwork. Right. <laughs> cause, okay. Because I drew the story as well. I kind of, you know, I knew what was coming across, and I, I kind of read it and thought, this is yeah, this is a better story than. I've delivered in terms of the artwork. The artwork could be clearer. The artwork—I had a lot of deadlines at the time, so I ended up kind of drawing it at the same size as the page, and it's not quite as nice looking as I would have liked. But um, I kind of thought, yeah, that's actually quite good, I think. Um, so anyway, I had an idea for um, in a and comic con. Um, This will seem like a segue, but it's sideways, uh, but it's not. I was in an Escalon Comic Con, and there were a bunch of guys there uh, that are involved in a 2008 fanzine called Sector 13. And I have a very old... like like Several years ago, um, I wrote a story... Uh, called um, House of Megawax, which I thought was a fun little uh, 2008 story. It was 13, 12 or 13 pages long. And I wrote this whole story in a burst, and I sent it to Matt Smith, the editor, and Matt rejected it and said, well, you know, no, that's silly and that's stupid. And I thought, you know what? It is silly and stupid. There's bits of it silly and stupid, but they're very old-fashioned 2008 I- ideas, and I think Matt was after something more, but edgier, but edgier, a little yeah. bit more modern. I, the 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 new one, or one of the elements in it is uh, so. Dre, it's these guys that uh, that are making this house of wax, uh, and uh, in order to make this house of wax, they've been killing fatties, AD fatties, like you know that, that are these grossly I mean, like they're literally one and two tons in weight, and they've been killing them, knocking them off, and converting their bodies into wax, and then using that to create big giant waxworks okay so that's that's the gist of the plot and one of the characters um the t- the two characters kind of take this other this other fatty and you know they they run them through a little checklist to go. S- so you're... far, so not woke. Yeah, so far, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, two thousand eighty fatties exist. It's not you know. It's, it's I mean, it's hard. It is. I I feel bad about. I mean, I'm
1: okay uh, with fatty. Being a fatty myself. Yeah, I'm, well, I
0: mean, but you're not a fatty. That's oh, the thing. Totally the mega city one fatties are are literally belly wheels, and I mean they're insane exaggerations I like like everything. But yeah. I, I have to be honest. Anytime I talk to someone slightly weightier than me about this story, I feel guilty through <laughs> pangs of guilt um i don't want to look someone in the eye and go and this is a story about fat uh, the people that-. so I, but anyway i don't
1: have feelings it's okay yeah
0: i know i know so uh, and anyway and one element of the story is this this fatty comes in and the two characters start arguing and in the, you hear a zipping noise and you turn around and it's it's this massive fat suit that's been unzipped and three judges walk out of it which i thought was really funny It's a funny little gag. Uh, And Matt was kind of, yeah, that's just... That pushes it right into Ridiculous, so no... Uh, so that that's fine, that's fine. So anyway, I offered it to these, these guys in NOSK, and they went, "Yeah, this would be great. We'd love to do this. It'll have to be broken into two parts." Now that's okay if it's a story that is worth breaking into two parts. Some stories are not worth; they're not worth the wait. <laughs> There's no point in waiting like several months for for the story to come out. So when they drive up, I thought of another idea for a one-off, uh, for like a six-page Judge Dredd story. And by the time I got to from NOSK into Belfast, I had it more or less all in my head what I was going to do. So I wrote it up, typed it up. Um, it's it's always discouraging when you look at your watch for on. <laughs> it's, it's like when, I don't, do you ever remember, like this seemed to happen a lot when I was in my 20s. You go out to a nightclub or something and start snogging someone and you see them look at their or, their watch while they're snogging you. That's very upsetting.
1: I, I wish I could see that happen to me. <laughs> I, I, would, I, would, I would have killed for that bored look in their eye. <laughs>
0: Um so anyway I wrote this short story and I posted it on Twitter I'm looking for an editor or someone to look over it if a reader to to come and have a wee read of this and because um, I'd never really written and that, you know having having somehow had found the balls to send it straight to Matt and get the rejections like I'm not going I'm not playing that mistake twice I'm not doing that again <laughs> I'm going to send it out to people who have good taste and good judgment and tell me what they think so I got a, a bunch of responses and of course you get a bunch of notes and the notes are all kind of, and this is where this is where maybe you, as an editor, would have been helpful. I, I, I you know, this is I'm going to hit you up for editing, and we'll see how you do. I see how you perform. Okay. I, it was interesting because I sent it out to so many people. Right. That was a mistake, because now I've got a million different notes for, that that tug it in different directions. And okay. so And so suddenly you're, and sometimes the, the, I mean, they're not. None of them are bad. None of the notes are bad. None of them you'd look at and go, that's a terrible note, makes no sense. Yeah. They're all notes that you think, oh yeah, I should do that. But the problem is that some of them are contradictory to each other. Um, so one editor says, do it this way, and another one will... Or say editor, one reader will suggest, it's got to end like this, another one will suggest, it's got to end like that. And they're mutually exclusive, and you can't do both. There's no way. And, and so you're sitting there going, I, 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 I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how to proceed. I don't know how to proceed. There's too many things in my head. So, uh, yeah, so I, I'm going to get you to edit. I'm going to write up the script. I've got notes to do, and I'm going to fix it up. I find that... Um, Sitting in a car and driving somewhere is a really good period for writing, because you can think of a story and and work it all out in your head while you're driving somewhere. Mm, I find the
1: same for songwriting.
0: Is that right? Yeah. See, this is where you this is where your writing goes into is into into songwriting. Mm. Then, but do you, I mean what happens to your songs when you write them? Um,
1: I either use them or uh, I. Are you still
0: playing? I don't know if you're still no, playing. No, I'm not. No, We don't really I, chat much, Ron. Let's chat.
1: Well, I don't play music at all at the minute. And I, I'd love to be, but I just don't have a band at the minute. But, um, yeah, do you I, need a band? Well, I, I do because I'm not a very talented musician. So I've, I've always <laughs> needed... I mean, it's, it's a bit like, a, it's a bit like a, so a, it's, an artist it's without the, a... Yeah, if you're the
0: smartest person in the room, you're well, in the wrong room. Well, it's
1: a bit like being an artist without a writer. You know, If, if, yeah. if, if you don't write... You know it doesn't there's nothing, nothing happens the yeah, play to, you know yeah, and ver- vice versa if you're a writer and there's no artist, there's yeah. nothing to actually work, and I need people to collaborate with yeah, um you know I can come up with quite good song ideas, but they inevitably don't go anywhere because I don't have someone to sort of nudge me in the right yeah, direction. i
0: mean you 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 there there are people in life that are doers and there are people in life that can do, but you really need a good shove. Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. one of the can do, but really needs a good shove. Oh, I'm like that yeah. as well. Like, don't get me wrong. I am absolutely one of those people. I'm one of those people I think would be a brilliant second in command, <laughs> but absolutely should never be the number one. Well, I mean,
1: yeah, I, I mean, every band I've ever been in, I've always had someone that I was able to bounce ideas off. You know, I've always had a songwriting partner or mm-hmm. multiple songwriting partners in, in the band. And, uh, I just don't have that at the minute, so I've kind of been sort of just poking ideas. I did come up with a, a, a rhyming couplet the other night that I said on Twitter. That I if a I ever rhyming? use <laughs> a rhyming couplet that, that if ever if I ever use it in a song, people would think I was going to kill myself. <laughs> but I but I really liked it, uh, and I'll copyright this one now. But the, the line was, uh, "It's that special kind of loneliness where waking up is second best." Ooh, and Oof. I was like, "That's so good, uh, oh. <laughs> but it's yeah. also incredibly incredibly it's sad,
0: grim, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah." It's, yeah, it's it's good, it,
1: but yeah. these things just sort of bounce into your head, and yeah. you don't know where they come from, and um, you know you, you just either you your neurons
0: are firing I, when you're I, bored. That's not, it's, when you're bored, that's when creativity strikes. That's the problem with the modern world. It's so hard to be bored.
1: Well, I just jot a lot of these for sort of like little couplets and things and like a, a note in my in my iPhone, and they, you know there's just a, there's an Apple note. They're just full of like little mm-hmm. songwriting ideas, but. But really, I and mean, is is
0: it the process of having a band and another songwriter with you is what makes you want to do that, or is it is it the the having a band and knowing you've got to perform with them that makes you want to do it? I mean, we, 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 at what what stage do they enter that gives you the impetus to keep going?
1: Well, whenever I was you know before I ever performed at a band, I mean the the thing that made me want to do it was to hear a song recorded. Mm. Um, so me and my friend. Would have just been sitting in his bedroom, and he would have been playing guitar. And I would have seen things with the top foot until mm-hmm. we find things that worked. Um, as I got older, it was in bands. Then it was about performing. Yeah, but you need something to perform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so unless you know,
0: you're I, just going to do cover stuff all well, the time, well, yeah.
1: And that's I mean, I've been in cover bands, and it's, it's completely unsatisfying. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it pays okay, mm-hmm. but the you know, what's really enjoyable is going out and seeing people enjoy your music.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So. Yeah, then you're going well. But we need half an hour's worth of music, so that means yeah. that could mean like what six songs, you know, and then you, or seven songs or whatever. I, did I
0: tell you about my wife's friend? Who's uh, uh, her husband's in a thrash metal band? No, he's like a death metal singer. Okay, and and Annette worked in the bank, as you know. And I'm trying to remember his band, but I can't remember what it is. I'll I'll put we'll put show notes up, and he is in this thrash metal band, and they're touring and stuff. But he's still working in his day job, and he's got this big long beard. But Annette. Uh, went to see his band. <laughs> oh God! So Annette's an, a lovely. I love my wife. Obviously, uh, I say that at every show. Uh, and very demure is the wrong word, but you know, she she like she would listen to Kylie. Maybe that's the. Yeah. You know, she would listen to whatever's in the charts at that moment. She enjoys she, commercial yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, her, her favorite thing at the moment, I think, is the script. You know, okay. that's that's the uh, that's as extreme as it gets for Annette. So Annette went to see this thrash death metal band. <laughs> <laughs> For God's sake, why <laughs> and was, well, because they were it was the first album they were and it was in the limelight, I think it was, and her friend, who she knows who he 's married to um is and they 're a lovely couple, and they 've got two nice kids and stuff and uh she they both worked in the bank, and she 's even more quiet than Annette is she 's even more kind right, of okay. a bank clerk type than you can imagine, and she 's sitting there with Annette, and they 're both listening to this thrash metal. I mean, like it's it's proper Norwegian death metal kind of stuff. Uh, just a
1: wall of noise.
0: Yeah, that's good. He's really very good, but I I don't know what he's singing. On what, on what
1: scale is he operating on here? Well,
0: I, I don't know. I think she'd never heard anything before like okay. that, so so it's hard for her to judge any of it.
1: It was just impressive from a from a volume point yeah, of view. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, and also I think yeah, I think no, I think she said as well you could you could make out what he was singing. <laughs> which is unusual, okay, for, for, for one of those bands. Maybe that's a bad thing for one of those bands. I don't know. But he has been he's been touring and stuff, and and um, they invite him uh, to different concert things around the world. And but it's one of those things where there's not enough money in it. At, at no, now. there, there you absolutely can't, isn't. You, can't be a, you can't afford to do stuff like that now. No,
1: I mean outside of living in Oslo, I don't think there's a big market for the the, <laughs> the black metal.
0: You now you were the band, last band that I knew you were in was the Black Bear Saloon Saloon Saloon. I always do that. Don't yeah. I always call it <laughs> Saloon? yeah that, black that bar salon sounds better that, that,
1: that broke up a long time ago that broke up in 2010 oh right okay yeah, so. was it
0: creative differences
1: um well yeah i mean i think it was creative and i think it was a combination of just personalities not really gelling very well yeah. I mean you were was, together it, for
0: a while
1: yeah we were but it was it was a bit of an odd situation in that whenever i originally joined the band i was kind of, I kind of auditioned to be a singer but mm-hmm. i knew the guys already from, yeah. from other bands and then um as time went by i kind of realized that uh that just just we weren't on the same page. Yeah. Just on lots of things, whether it was just what we wanted to do with our free time, just politically, I mean they kind of leaned a bit further. Now this is gonna make it sound terrible. They leaned further to the right than I did now, yeah. they weren't Nazis or all right yeah, yeah, yeah. by any means. It's just they had they had views on the distribution of wealth and things that I didn't <laughs> that I didn't agree on. <laughs> you know, whereas I I, I I would tend to lean quite quite left and socialist. I mean and, I
0: look I, I'm with you. I I think this is Core of why our little connection—I think it, it can be a little bit um, difficult to believe that something that's a, a fundamentally very low level of what you believe—and you—we don't sit around and have chats about how Marx was right or wrong, or you know how money should be redistributed—but it does feed into lots of your other ends of your outlook. Yeah, it feeds into it your views on the national health, and it feeds into your—and probably feeds into your views of who gets a cut of the fees when the band stop playing. Well,
1: I mean, you know, I was the only one sensible not to actually apply to the PRS for my. Show. Of the money. Yeah, you mean? I don't know if you. Know they PR. probably
0: thought that was a bit commie. Well, <laughs> here's the thing: <laughs> we're it's not sharing wealth. <laughs> I mean, for
1: for people who were kind of like, you know, I can't believe that. Uh, I can't believe these people coming into the country and want you know want my my mm. tax and my you know the money that I yeah, pay. Yeah. But when whenever I was one who I was the only one who actually applied for the the performance rights money. Yeah. Um, and so the way you th- give
0: us a rundown on what that means. So
1: PRS is a is a a system whereby. You you get paid royalties for where where your music is played, so you you, okay. you get performance royalties, which are you know, from radio play, yeah, and you also get mechanical royalties, which are from sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, the songs were all written partly by me. Mm-hmm. I registered all the songs and um, put my name on them, and the other guys, yeah, yeah. you know, I, but I but I had to put mm-hmm. my name on, them mm-hmm. and then uh, all, all you really have to do is send that off to PRS. You can't apply on anyone else's behalf; you yeah. have to apply for yourself. So then, as the songs were getting radio play on mm-hmm. various rock, were they getting radio shows. play? Oh yeah, we, oh, okay. we got played in like rock shows and stuff oh, right, over anyway. in, over okay. in the uh, you know, BBC Radio One and things like um, that.
0: Really? Yeah. Wow, well, I did not know any of oh, that. Oh no, we did, yeah. Okay, oh, cool. Well, thank um, you.
1: so and as we played and
0: people were saying you
1: were just a new talented new hooper. I know. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, as as we as we you know play music festivals and play gigs and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. I I would I would tot these all up. I would you know I would take a note of where we played a gig, where we played, when we played, and the way the way the ven the venues pay. So you would be a good
0: publisher, but anyway, continue.
1: Well, what happens is the venues then they pay their PRS fee every year, mm-hmm. and this all goes into a big pot. Yeah. And then PRS schools, right? Well, you split know, it up by percentage split up of by plays. Percentage and, yeah. of plays, and if you play in a, you play in a music class, it's a very,
0: very similar to there's a library thing you can do as well, where you can. You it's can very apply, like the library. Yeah, right re- yeah. basically, if you're a published author of any kind, you can almost identically you can fill in your details in the books that you've been involved with, and then books that are borrowed out of a library, there's a cut of money that goes to you from those those borrowings. Yeah, uh, and oh, everyone should do it, and I haven't, but you know I should do it as well. <laughs> But, well, uh,
1: you get more money for a play on BBC Radio 1. So
0: it's based on listenership then, It's based presumably? on listenership.
1: Um, obviously, Radio 1 keeps a perfect track of what's mm. on. Uh, your local radio stations, uh, all the BBC ones are all are all well. They, they all send off their records yeah, yeah. back to PRS. Uh, if you're on, like, Cool FM or a local radio show, you may need to actually take a note of when you're on. Yeah. Or you ask the radio station where it was I played, and it'd be basically you take a note of that, you send it off. Yeah. And then every quarter... PRS send you the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember getting my first PRS check, and it was for something like three hundred quid. Right. Okay. Um. It's, which not, was, to be sneezed it's, at, it's not It's not, not huge money, amount. but you know, it was more money than, than it, was, it,
0: it feels like money for nothing. In, in a in a way, it feels yeah. like it's like a royalty check or something. it's like, whoa! Well, I didn't have to work for that. That well, came exactly, to me anyway. Yeah,
1: that, that, that's kind of. I mean, it's it's there to kind of help musicians because they don't really make a lot of money. So yeah. here's the residuals of, of here's the, the fruits of your labor. Yeah. And uh, they kind of were like, "Well, is that going back into the band then?" And I said, "Well, it would, but there's there's another three hundred odd quid for each of you mm-hmm. that you just haven't claimed yet, and and that's the, the brilliant thing. All they have, all they would have to do is fill out a form. All right, okay. Send it so, off, so and so that money wanted, would yeah. come to them in the next in the, in the next <clears throat> payment. But they just didn't want to do that. Yes.
0: Jesus Christ."
1: So, you know, I was sitting here with my my fistful of cash. And they were like, well, that should go towards the next recording. I was like, no, it's not going to the next recording. It's this well, is my I money. Mean,
0: it's not a bad idea to say, well, you know what? Yes, I don't mind a percentage of this going to the next recording. And like 10% of every, 50% of everyone's money yeah. goes to the next recording. So you get 150 quid. But you've got to pay 150 quid. You've got to pay it because it's not that hard to claim. Yeah, I
1: mean, my attitude was if everyone had claimed their money, I would have been happy to put, yeah. You know, Put all of that towards yeah, then
0: you then you're putting you know whatever a grand or something towards yeah. an actual substantial amount, rather than just like nice dinner, right, for you and Susie. Well, exactly.
1: So, um, you know, and that that that's <clears throat> essentially how 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 that worked. And then there was just other things, you know. And eventually, I remember just being in the car one time, and they turned around to me and said, "Do you know what we're thinking of making this next gig or last?" And I was like, "Okay." Why? I says, oh, it's just not working out. We're just not getting the gigs that we want, and. And whatever, yeah. And then,
0: did they all turn around that and say that to you? Because that has the look of a bunch of people who got together. So there was definitely we should definitely get rid of Ron. There was
1: definitely a, a sense of um, I was the last to know about this. Mm. So we went off. We played our last. You gig. have form in this sort of area.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I only say mean things like that, you know, because I know you take it with humor. I do. So then uh,
1: later on that, I mean, like I say, later on that year, two months later, yeah, there was a new band with the three guys that I was in out a of, out of band <laughs> with, and uh, a different singer.
0: Yeah, all right, don't go. On, um, yeah.
1: Well, it was actually a, a singer that they'd, that they had. Some of them had been in a band with before. Basically, it's got yeah, yeah, a new yeah. band, and. I will say hand on heart. I preferred that band. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I didn't get. Uh, I wasn't better about it, and I listened to the recordings, and I was like, "That's a better band." Yeah. But at the time, I think I everyone thought I should be really upset about it. But yeah. um, to be honest, I was just kind of glad I didn't have to spend much more time around them. Yeah. yeah. And there are people that I like and I do get on well with but when you spend that much time kind of like every and week yeah, gigging every and, week writing songs and every week kind of you know I mean, but it was just the best between the songs we kind of had to hear opinions that you kind of yeah if I voice a dissent opi- dissenting yeah, opinion yeah, to this you're, you're, then that's the end of the band all the time yeah. and you know so I kind of, you know, always no, kind of I,
0: I mean, I think both of us need to step up and take on leadership roles. <laughs> I think that's our problem is we are both, we're both really good lieutenants. That's, that's our yeah. difficulty. Uh, in, in many respects, we are, in, in, in different ways and in different uh, uh, artistic venues, very good lieutenants. But we need to step up because we cannot find the captains. There <laughs> is a lack of good captains. That's the problem. Like uh, why yeah. are you not? why are you not advertising for bandmates for your own band where you're the you know you're the primary mover on this? you have the experience you've run massive gigs you ran that that charity gig you did was huge mm-hmm.
1: huge yeah I, I'm quite good at organizing things whenever I put my mind to it, and, yeah, uh,
0: but usually your mind is put to just lounging around and not
1: i i've I've sort of found this last few years that uh, I always seem to have some other project on the back burner mm. whether it's um making a, a video for a local amateur dramatic society yes or you're still doing that yeah i'm still doing that oh, okay and um or, or you know doing photos for people or building a website for someone there's always something bubbling in the background <clears throat> yeah and there's part of me kind of thinks i really need to stop doing all that stuff and dedicate myself to, to just one thing one thing yeah you know and then of course i take on a podcast again so, <laughs> <laughs> which is a whole bunch of other work you know yeah so. i know
0: i'm so i feel bad about that i, I mean what are you are wrong uh, scott and i should step up a bit more and edit and, and do things well
1: scott's kind of abdicated himself out of it by uh, by getting rid of his laptop so now he only has an ipad to work uh,
0: on yeah but he can he can't edit. he's, he can, he's edited yeah i mean he's edited on
1: that you know um, obviously i think i'd ra- i work in uh logic on, yeah. on my mac and I'd really rather if Scott had a Mac. This is so, how
0: the sausage is made. Yeah,
1: that's pretty. In, it's not that interesting, but it's, <laughs> uh, but yeah, logic is is Apple's kind of like studio level recording software, and I and I use that to edit everything. Yeah. Um, how long does it
0: take you to edit a show?
1: Um, it depends entirely on the will that I have to do it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not you know, I'm not complaining. It's just that it's uh, Editing audio and video it's is one like of those things where like you power. have to dedicate yourself entirely to. It. It's not like drawing ah, where you to, you've, yeah you've where you, kind of, you kind of concentrate on You kind slice a bit of your brain off and listen yeah. to a podcast, or yeah. you can. And a lot of what I do at work, I can I can be listening to audio or something at the same time. Yeah. But when when you are editing audio, yeah, there's nothing else you can, else you can, to, can do. Yeah. And it's so you're it's kind of all encompassing. So you kind of know whenever you're doing it, you're kind of sitting sitting down for a couple of hours yeah. of just nonstop. <sighs> So we
0: need to start a Patreon so we can pay someone else to edit it.
1: I would love to have someone else edit it, other than um, to free myself up from it. I think a fresh set of ears on the show, yeah, that's true, is is always a good thing. Um, yeah. You know, I know a lot of the a lot of the big podcasts they, they usually hire someone to edit because they, uh, you know, well, one, like a lot of them are doing like two, three hour shows, yeah, and then they just offload it, offload it to someone else and pay them, but then their 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 shows aren't getting paid a lot yeah we're not so, we're, we're not. not
0: we're doing this free it's free for you anyway uh, if anyone wants to volunteer <laughs> <laughs> would you, right so here right to bring me back to comics i think genuinely think there there's this kind of there's a massive suddenly like i i remember after john mccray was a comic artist in belfast for years and years and years if somebody said to me Who, who's doing comics in belfast i go as far as i can tell i'm the only working professional in northern ireland Uh, doing comics but now there's a whole bunch of them right there's loads of them and not only is there loads of working professionals there's loads of guys who are actually really good that for lack of a venue are are not working professionals you know they're working professional quality or could be i kind of think what tends to happen is is that you you get very good and then you need to be professionally published to get good to get better, to get suddenly, to you know, kind of move up a level, to be sort of that professional level.
1: Well, who who is doing stuff that you think is a uh, is worthwhile?
0: I know you've asked me for names.
1: <laughs> I, mean, well, I, like, I mean, what, like, what I will you... say, is what I what I do see a lot of is people doing their take on already popular genres. Yeah, or... yeah.
0: It, it actually, annoys me a little bit. And then, I mean, I can understand it. I can understand it because it's when I mean, you were you're talking, there, you were saying about. Um, you do, you don't like doing covers. You like doing your own thing, and yet most people do like doing covers. Most, in comics, most people like. But you know, if you ask, if you try to get a bunch of people together to say, "Look, guys, we're going to do a fan comic. We're going to do our own completely new thing, never been seen before. Let's do this." You'd get a lot of mm-hmm, nah. yeah. But but if you said we're doing a Judge Dread fanzine, yeah, doing a work
1: doing a work in Daredevil, yeah, they yeah, crawl over their grannies to get <laughs> to get to do Daredevil yeah. or Batman.
0: Um. So that so that's a, so I've always kind of and and this works as well in in film there's there's recently there's a rogue trooper fan film kit was made and it's like jesus the the level of the quality of video effects and stuff in that these are working professionals putting this together there are stunts going on in that that are working professionals um and and you're kind of watching it oddly it's never writers writers are never involved in these things uh you're watching it going why didn't you put your uh, you put all those skills to something completely new that you will own forever because
1: it is the curse of the fan yeah i mean it is a curse i mean and an awful lot of artists and writers are fans at the same time yeah and they can't escape the thing that made them interested in a medium in the first place yeah and really it's just comics it's comics and you know the uh, some edges of of movies yeah. where people want to make you know harry potter fan films or yeah, yeah. or uh, you know twilight fan films they, they they just want to they want to make the thing that they enjoyed so much Rather than direct their energies into but, making but, a new thing,
0: but and, and, but those fans of film they often go into film. like Doctor Who fan. Uh, Doctor Who fan bases are full of people who want to make Doctor Who. Well, that's who.
1: interesting, yeah, because those people are generating skills that are completely transferable. Yeah, but if you know, if you have an industry like the comics industry where the most popular things are stuff that's existed for fifty, sixty, seventy years, yeah, then you know, obviously, some people are just going to gravitate to make to wanting to make those things,
0: yeah. I think I think there's scope out there right now for a a comic that with Northern Ireland creators in it that could be semi-regular and unsold at I mean there's three comic shops in Belfast now. Mm-hmm. There's um Comic Book Guys yep. um uh there's Forbidden Planet obviously and then there's this place called Coffee Coffee and Heroes or something. Uh, Comics and Heroes. I it's think so, in yeah. It's in uh, forgive me if I forget the name wrong, but it's it's in I've never been in it yet. I haven't met any of the, the people in it. Um and it would have been a point of order for you know, it would've been a thing I'd have to do is oh, there's a new comic shop, let's go and look. But now I kinda of feel like I walk into a new comic shop and go, Hi, I'm I'm PJ Holden, you you might might have heard of me, I I don't know, oh god, Um, yes, yes, J.R. Hartley, yes. (laughs) Hi, I'm PJ,
1: I'm the big dick in this town. (laughs) I really am a big dick. Where's the (laughs) deference?
0: So, yeah, it's kind of, but, but, like, there are three venues there, uh, and I mean, I don't know how many copies of a comic you'd need to sell to make it financially viable in terms of publishing, but there's, like, between those and the shows that are going on. You you could be getting what I think it needs is one person to drive it and to go. I'm going to do a comic and I'm going to make it work and I'm going to make it happen. And I think that could be you, Ron. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I've got money to burn. <laughs>
0: Well yeah I suppose money's the problem isn't it really I mean, well but it's not that I mean right so in terms of expenses for making a comic so there's the if you were going to pay writers and artists that's one thing that's that's a that's yeah. an expense and that's that's an expense that you will never that's a a thing you'll a hurdle you'll never jump because you know that the budgets required would be astronomical. On the other hand, actually printing a comic is not that expensive. Yeah, you know it's it's not because I mean you can you can go the simple photocopy route and you can get one printed up for a couple of quid. Um, you can go to um a really nicely printed bind version that that's maybe a couple of hundred quid to do a hundred copies. You know, it's not yeah. it's not outrageously expensive, and you make the money back and then you go you finance the next one
1: i guess i guess ultimately you end up selling to people like yourself you know people who are interested in comics that aren't the mainstream and the question would be how do you hit people who are only really interested in the mainstream yeah how do you how do you get the mainstream yeah. how do you get them interested in something that isn't you know batman or yeah and that that's the that's the real struggle i mean i you know whatever i've been to comics conventions i've 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 walk the artist's alley and you see the artists who, who have their own book Yeah, and th- their tables are always kind of like you know being sort of strafed by people kind of wandering up and looking at what's there then know, yeah, again. Again, yeah. and then it, wandering off again and it's kind of disheartening because th- those are the people that I would usually go around their tables and usually buy something from them because yeah. the, the person selling you know person person who works on Spider-Man I can get their comic anytime
0: yeah.
1: but um, yeah it's it's uh, that's just one of the most disheartening things about comics for me <laughs> I mean I read the complete
0: uh, lack of interest from the readers. Well yeah, I mean you know,
1: they it's such an odd medium. Mm. I mean and up until about ten years ago you could have said that movies were not were nothing like that, you know, yeah. where new ideas were always rewarded. Except now we're in a now we're in a, a completely different environment where um the biggest movies in the world are all about are all based on comics yeah. and and people are, you know, hanging on to the big, the next big Marvel, or you know, but or but I mean, yeah, I mean, or whatever. But, you know? but
0: the mediums do change, and and TV, for example, is much more layered and, and nuanced now than it's ever been. Um, yeah, we, but, we were talking earlier about about the TV series of Terror, which everyone's talking. I, I, I if, everyone's talking about it. Rob Williams, especially, is talking about it a lot and and how great it is as as a kind of and and you wouldn't have gone. Oh yeah, I want to see. I want to see a story about an 18th century schooner going over the Antarctic. But that that apparently is the film. That's the TV show to yeah. watch. Um,
1: but but I guess, I guess one of the problems is TV is not cheap to make. People can't no. just make TV on their own. You can make you can make like, comics on you, your own. They're cheap. You can make comics and you can <clears throat> weirdly you can make films, but you can't make TV. Yeah, TV requires a, a commitment from a, a yeah you know, substantial a channel. Whereas you you can make a ninety minute film on your own and spend yeah. you know spend a bit of money. Yeah. And you have something you can sell to people. Yeah,
0: you can find a distributor then once once it's done. I just, I I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know what I, if I were to make a comic, I don't know what it would be. I would be very inclined to go, oh, let's do a 2000 AD like sci-fi thing because that's where I come from. But is that, is that the sort of thing people want? I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of the ideas that you would have for, you know, 2080-type stories are transferable to non-2080-type characters. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 Well, yeah, apart from Dread stories where, where you... I mean, the, the joy of, of, a dread, of a character like Dread is that um, you can use... Uh, so I was talking to a writer friend of mine about this story, and he said, oh, well, you really need... And because of what, the events that happen in this story, he said to me that you really need something upfront loaded that... that you know, is going to signal what's going to happen later on. And he said, for example, a line like "He remembers everything," and, and when you say when you use that line with a character like Dread, it because he said that line to me and I, it floored me because it's like when you when you have a character like Dread with forty years of actual history, and you use the line "He remembers everything," it means something. It feels like something, yeah. You know, whereas if you have an another character that nobody knows about, and you use the same line, it's like oh that that's might be an interesting thing. So so we'll see um so yeah uh, yeah i mean that's that's the problem with with kind of you know how do you if you were going to do a small small press i i do feel like if if uh right okay this is a fantasy now this is a little fantasy land i'm going to go into Mm -hmm. if if say sunnyside comics or sunnyside podcast show thought let's put together a comic what would we do right okay i think there would be big interest but only up to a certain point, which might be a hundred copies of a book would sell. I think. Sure. Um, you might get more interest because you might be able to scare up local radio, local TV interest. Um, uh, you know, because it's, and I, you know, having done a little bit of TV from doing the uh, doing the M James Bond M. Yeah. What I find is they're they're interested in some things if you can come at them from a different angle. So you come at it from local comic creators creating a comic with a professional or with a bunch of professionals, then that, that is an angle. Um and then you have a launch in a comic shop. And you have a launch at a couple of comic shops, you know, you keep re- you make a book that's nice and you know, meaty, a forty page graphic novel type yep. thing with short stories or something, and then you, you relaunch it every so often, you relaunch it in one shop and then another and then you make the numbers to, to do the next one.
1: But ultimately to sell it, what you need is something like with stories by many local creators. Oh, and Garth Ennis or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need you need a name on there. Yeah, you to, do. To flog it,
0: you do. I think you. I mean, I think the local comic shops will support you and help you. But if you can't really guarantee you've got some sort of name on there, I mean, I'm a name, but not a big name. Right? Yes. So I know. I know. I, like because I know the local shops, I could say I am going to do this comic. I am going to launch it, and I am going to help you launch it and, do it. and And they'll go, "Oh, that'll be great fun." Then it'll be, you know, it'll be a day, and we might sell a bunch of copies of it. But you are not going to sell th- thousands. You are not going to sell beyond this little pool of of people. I don't know. I would like to do something like that one day. Yeah. would you? Would no, you like no, to do it'd, be, it'd be fun
1: to kind of put something together like for the you're world. I think you are
0: smart enough, and I think, and I, this is I am flattering you really, but I think you are clever enough and smart enough to make a project like that work. What do you lack as motivation?
1: Oh, definitely. <laughs> Without a doubt. All right, then. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I guess what I'd like to say is something that isn't just... I mean, do you remember after, like, Walking Dead kind of um, became big? All of a sudden, it seemed like everyone had a zombie story. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, actually,
0: weirdly, one of the... So, I was listening to one of the earlier shows, and uh eight years ago and one of the things we were talking about are vampire stories now we're all done out with vampire stories yeah we were done with i don't want to see another vampire story and that was before the walking dead tv show hit and then that's and then everything became zombies so so we we go through these cycles of things that that are kind of um you know these these are what's popular and suddenly but yeah and and i know um comic book guys did their own little version of a of a zombie revenants Revenants, yeah Yeah. because i did a cover for them um uh, and yeah, I yeah, I don't know. It would be. I just think it'd be an interesting thing to do. Yeah, but
1: Berserker had their zombie line. They and, did, yeah, that's
0: true. Yeah. You know, Berserker They, had, they lost seemed, a lot of money on well, yeah, that. but but
1: it, it, you know, it, it just seemed like you know the, you know, like the easy thing to, or the the simple thing to do was make a zombie comic and it'll be successful, and that's yeah. not the truth. The truth is, you know, you need to write a really good story, <clears> and yeah. it just happened to be about zombies, and that was yeah. the.
0: Well, Berserker. I mean, I think Berserker. Um, they did a. Beautiful looking book, I mean, gorgeous artwork, gorgeous. But they, they were trying to be a comic, a proper big comic publisher. Yeah, you know. Um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's funny. There's a certain part of me, lately, has been thinking I should just write little stories and publish them myself and put them in. A, and then there's another part of me going, that's a big backward step for you, Paul. You're a published, a professional comic creator. You shouldn't be thinking I sh- I just want to sell to twenty people. <laughs> You know, you should be going. I want to sell to like 10,000, 100,000 people this this book, but it feels like my career is not going that way. I <laughs> mean,
1: ultimately, I think what most comic creators want is to be able to have like a a career in comics that's something like Steven Soderbergh's in film, where you do one for yourself and one for the studio, one I, for yourself right. and one for the studio. I was
0: talking to Jock in Anna Gillen and. Um, Clang! Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, I give Jock a. I, Jock was looking at a Judge Dredd picture I'd drawn. He went. Oh, he kept coming over and going. Like the chin, the chin—that's a really big chin. I said, "Jock, only one of us has had editor editors tell us to decrease the size of our chin," and it was him. And he went, "Yeah, that was too big that chin I drew." I went, "Oh yeah," um, and he kept coming over. I said, "Look, Jock, if you want that drawn, it's yours." He went, oh, no, I can't take it." I said, "Have it." He went, "Oh," and he seemed genuinely touched. Right. So Jock Joc and I go back. Like I remember the first comic convention I ever went to. Jock was there, and I think I met Glenn Fabry at that same one. Sort of early late 90s and um jock at that point had done some wizards of the coast artwork and couldn't get himself into 2080 at all you know so we were both uh, although he you know he was a better artist i think um we were both at the same stage in our career you know so we we've known each other for for a long time but um jock was saying that he was saying he he really wants to do work that sort of creator owned at this point because everything he's been doing has been for other people of course and yeah. and he wants to well as i think his exact words were he wants he wants to be able to retire and see royalties coming in yeah. from something that he's made himself now i i kind of feel like I, I don't know i think he's right i think he's right that that's that's the correct attitude to have i think as well there's maybe let, not spoken of, is is the idea that uh to spend a, a life creating things for other people and then to finish and go, I've created stuff for other people. You should be looking after me now. It, it, you know, it's it's unfulfilling. It's a, a really unfulfilling way to look at life. I think you need to be able to come at the end of it and go, I have created all of this and these are mine. These are my things. Yeah. Um. I had Like when Annette and I were talking about kids one time and before we had kids and she said, do you want kids? And I went, I, I really don't know if I want kids, but but I feel like. I I don't want to be seventy and look back and say I didn't have any kids. It it was harder to make the decision to have kids, but it was very easy to think about me as a seventy year old, you know, and thinking. well, it's the whole
1: thing you, you you regret the things that you didn't do, not the things yeah. that you did. Yeah. yeah,
0: so yeah, so it's so I do I want to create my own things, like totally from scratch.
1: Yeah, I mean that 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 that's got to be more satisfying. Yeah, I mean I you know obviously we we know people who've worked on you know. The biggest characters in the world I, I don't know if that's as satisfying for them as putting they're, they're, a, putting out a book the and the thing they go, is Well, they, that's they my are, name on the cover and i created that they yeah. are
0: satisfying for the time that you're doing them yeah i think um
1: i think they scratch an itch but yeah. they don't necessarily
0: i think um, i always wanted to draw dread and so getting to draw dread was the greatest thing ever but knowing that i like drawing dread for me is always somebody else's decision it's yeah. never my decision. It's never me going. I want to draw dread. Um, it's always someone else saying, "Do you want to draw dread?" And I go, "Yes, please." Um, uh, but as much as I did those stories, and own those stories. I have no control over those stories. I can't. I can't do anything with them. I can't. I can't draw character that character and go. I'm doing this now. This is the book I'm doing now. Um, I have no control over that. They. They like. There are stories that I've drawn. The f- most fun I usually have have had with dread is where I've talked to um, Gordon Rennie. And said, "Wouldn't it be funny if, and if we did this with a character, if we did this kind of thing, and this would be hilarious?" And then he's gone off and written that and written a story from that that core idea. Um, and always put far more in it than I've said. And and then that that collaboration is always more fulfilling than just someone saying, "Here's a dread script for you." Yeah. You know. Um, and I I think you enjoy doing the work and you enjoy getting paid for the work. But then when it's gone, it's gone. Whereas I think if you create something. Um, and I I think as well, it's one thing to create something, a little one-off story, and go, "That's my little one-off story," and then you forget about it. But it's another thing entirely to create a character with history and that you work on for several years, like Hellboy. I mean I always think of Mike Bengal as Hellboy. Well, that's that's
1: the most obvious one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say that, and that you know, he's somebody who kind of at some point went, "Look, I need to own something." Yeah. And created something that that he was able to turn into a, a, a th- little I media think, empire of his own. You yeah, know? I
0: think. Mean, but I think that I mean. I know you don't mean this in a cynical way, um, that, but that I think is a slightly cynical viewpoint of it. I think really from a creative point of view, it was like, I want to do this kind of story. Nobody's offering me this kind of yeah. story. Uh, but if I write and draw my own character, those are the kinds of stories I can do. And it let him do the kind of stories he likes doing. My, my problem is with, with Dread, Dread's such an open book, you can do any kind of story. So you kind of go, oh, yes, I'd do a Western. You could do a, a you know, you yeah. can do a Western, a, a comedy, a drama. You could do all these different kinds of things. And that's, it's. he's got so much scope. Uh, I think with, um, what do you call him, uh, Mignola's uh, writing style, I think there's a kind of flavour he likes. And Hellboy allows him to do that, whereas a lot of other projects would be, yeah. But we can maybe do a story like that with Batman for an issue or two, you know. And, well, well and I mean, would it. you not
1: want to explore that yourself and do it the way we knew it did? Or, you know, at the start, he wasn't sure about his writing ability, so we yeah. got John Byrne to do the writing. Yeah, well, that's you know. why
0: I've done stuff with Scott. <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> i mean bless him scott's not john byrne
0: no no he's not
1: um <laughs> but if you, you get her, you
0: mean uh, he's not a raven lunatic well, <laughs> I, well i just
1: i just mean if you had a writer with a profile who if you gave them like i want to draw this 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 and this no i want well, no, I, no, i've got a, this world and these characters and this story but could you help me with the uh getting the words on the page in yeah. a way that I, a, I
0: feel like i mean i think the like i've gone from saying to someone here's an idea right and then they've gone away and gone okay I'll, I'll, I'll write up this idea and and uh, write it as a plot and then we'll pitch it and then they go nowhere because uh, that's happened and you're gone right now I've wasted two people's time I wasted your time and my time so I'm sorry about that um, and with Scott the the stories were kind of here's the whole story I'm just not sure about the dialogue and I I, I think really I needed an editor as much as anything. Um, Although, you know, Scott did uh, like a a huge amount of heavy lifting on on dialogue and stuff. But often (laughs) like the, so we did two stories together, as I'm sure you know. Um, One was Tern Omega, where uh, Scott did a lot of heavy lifting on on dialogue and and stuff. And and with me over his shoulder going, "No, I think we need to change that a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, And so it's it's hard for me to kind of point out and say, I wrote that. I wrote that. I wrote that bit, and Scott wrote this and this and this. It was yeah. quite a a merged being, a, a symbiotic kind of writing partnership. Uh, and then the other thing we wrote, which Scott did, added like a shit ton of puns to, and lots of writing, more jokes. I mean, I I came up with the story, and Scott wrote all the dialogue with, uh, and and kind of pasted a little bit, at, and and, um, wrote all these puns. But then it was sent to a publisher who was publishing it in Irish, and so not and we, we lost all the puns. We neither of us have any idea if any of the puns got translated. We don't know what any of the characters are saying. It's all in Gaelic. I don't know what's happening with it. You know who knows? Who knows? Um, so yeah, I but but I feel like I'm ready now to do like my like I can write from scratch. I think okay. I, I I like I, the, the 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 dread script that I wrote and sent out to a bunch of readers i got notes back but none of the notes went this is shit you know like the notes were generally additive they were do you know it'd be cool if you did this or i think you need to do you know change this but there was one line of dialogue um so you're writing dread dread's very dread's got a specific tonal voice and it's very hard to get that right a lot of people get it wrong um and i i got some great advice off gordon rennie years and years ago it wasn't advice when he he was just, we were talking about somebody else and he said, yeah, well, the, the way to write dread is you write his dialogue and delete every other word. You know, dread will not say, hmm, the weather's a bit ropey outside. He'll go, ropey weather. You know, that, that's it. You know, yeah. there will be, he'll not say ropey, he'll say weather. You know, it'll be uh, it'll be the bare minimum to convey whatever message it is that he's got. And so the one dialogue note I got was, there was a, there was a bit in it where I wrote, um, in a caption, So it was somebody else's dialogue. I wrote the radiations preventing the radio from working or radiations preventing radio signals. And I rejigged the script a bit and I took that caption that was somebody else's dialogue and just replaced the the word caption with dread. So dread said it. And the note I got was that's too much. Dread would say radiations interfering you know that that's it and i was oh yeah that, that of course he would say that yeah but it wasn't even i'd written that but generally all the rest of it i was was fine so i was kind of thinking well okay if i if people weren't repelled then and i'd uh i sent it to a friend of mine who writes dread occasionally and he went yeah look i'd pitch this so maybe here's a cool thing you could do that that build you know makes it more gives it more um but um, so I, I actually feel more confident in writing. I've been doing this writers yeah. thing as well, eighty uh, k course thing.
1: But what about something where you don't have an existing framework to to jump off? Like if oh, you, I I have I, I yeah. If you create I, the characters from whole cloth, yeah.
0: I well I. I, I I think I've said to you about this James Bond pitch thing I'm putting together. That's James Bond. I know, I know, I know I'm saying I'm saying yeah. that that's that's a big thing, that's a 40 page thing. Yeah. Um I mean I, I if it, it's very unlikely to be picked up as a Bond pitch uh, as as a uh, me pitching a James Bond story. So I'm going to file the serial numbers off it if if okay. required and make it a, a spy story. Cause it it all works anyway. It doesn't, you know. It, it's slightly better as a Bond story because, again, with a character like Bond, you get stuff for yeah. free. You get, you know, um, one of the, one of the things we didn't do with the M story. I really wanted to do, and I think I said because you and I sat down with Declan and we talked about things we could include in Am that would be fun to do. Yeah. And one of the things I really wanted to do was have James Bond run through an orange parade because I thought <laughs> that's such a cool visual. And it works because Bond is always running through parades. Yeah, you know, it, it would just it'd make you laugh on multiple levels. You know, they they just the distinct image of it would make you laugh, and then the thought as, as soon as you think, oh, Bond running through a Rio de Janeiro carnival, and now he's running through an orange parade, that yeah. uh, that's funny. Um, if it's a different character, that stops being funny. It's just not a joke anymore. Um, so, but the Terran Omega I did with Scott, that's a bigger that's a bigger story there's and and it's a bigger world and there's lots of stories to tell within that world Mm -hmm. um uh the character i can't i don't know if i told you anything about terran omega or if you have even read it or anything but i haven't uh, read it you have read it i haven't read it oh you haven't read it i saw
1: saw the pages as you you oh as i was doing okay
0: well the the gist of it is terran omega is the last human being alive it's i I got that from the name yeah it's ten thousand years after this massive war that earth had with all these alien species uh Earth is wiped out. She is the last human because of this war. Uh, She wakes up from deep space hibernation to to find that um, the galaxy's moved on 10,000 years later. There's all of this old um, military equipment that Earth has left and, and the results of various battles all around the galaxy. And she decides to take it upon herself to go around and tidy this stuff up. But it's mutated over time. And and the whole gist of the, I mean, the core idea of it is that she's the
1: cleaning lady. She's the clean.
0: <laughs> no, the core idea of it is that w- war impacts for longer than you realise. There's there's a friend of mine. Um, there's there's a part of France that is off limits, and this entire village is off limits. This m- way bigger than a village. It's, it's this entire region that's off limits because of bombs and things that were uh, put there during World War One. You know, and it's still to this day off limits. And, and you can imagine that, you know, in, uh, you know if there was a nuclear war 100,000 years from now, there will be places that are just off limits. And I, I find stuff like that fascinating. And so that character is a character that there are more worlds and stories to tell in. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's plenty of show, isn't it? <laughs> that's not a subtle light, I'll it, grant you.
1: It always gets a bit meta at the
0: end. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so, look. Uh, this was a fun chat. Yeah, it was a, nice, it was a lovely chat, actually. It was yeah. quite nice. Um, and we covered a lot of ground. Uh, and we will be back hopefully next week with a regular show with Scott. Maybe Scott's on nights though, so I don't know. I don't know how hard. Yeah, Scott his, my watch Watchman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, thank you for if you've stuck with us this long. Thanks very much for listening, and we will see you next week. Good night. Yep. All the best. Bye bye.
1: Diving incident where the singer of a, a a local band jumped off the stage with the microphone, and I was like, "I'm after that." <laughs> <laughs> was it corded? Uh, well, it it was when it was in my hand, <laughs> but uh, it very it very quickly found its way into my underpants. <laughs> And uh, so th- it was the end of the gig, so there was no more singing to be done. So I, I didn't feel bad about putting, you know, putting an end to the show or anything. Like that you
0: would do an encore? Oh, nah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, so I left. I left the. I left the <clears throat> venue, and I said out "I've got a microphone in my pants." <laughs> yeah. <coughs> And they're, they're you know, player. they're good ones. I mean, they're, they're, they're good pants. So no, they're, no, they're good. Well, they're they good, were good pants. <laughs> and uh, we were standing. outside said, I said, the empire. When all of a sudden, like the empire's gorilla-like bouncers. You realised there was a mic missing. Oh yeah, but at that stage, the sound man had, like had alerted them to the fact that someone had nicked the mic after it had gone into the audience. So they were like basically frisking people in the street. <laughs> And uh, you know, I, I had it in the one place I knew they weren't going to frisk me. So. Uh-huh.
0: And also, it's got that shape. Like <laughs> well, if, it does. If, I think if if someone, if someone went to frisk you and they were going, to, I don't care. I am frisking them every which way but loose. And they look down and they see that bulging they're going to think, "Oh, do you know what? I'm not going to go with that. <laughs> That's quite an aggressive looking bulge." This, I might, this I might boy's counting that on a good frisking. <laughs> look at how excited he is at the thoughts of it. <laughs> uh, have we recorded all of that? Uh, yeah. Oh.